Hey everybody, welcome back after a brief hiatus to Infinity Watchers. I am John, joined here, as I always am, by my good friend Jared. And we are avatars of no god. We are just ourselves. We're here before you today to talk about some night. Speak for yourself. <laughs> you say you're not an, you an avatar, avatar? god. The, the, the tax god, didn't you know? Oh, the tax god. The tax god. The, the, like, like, <laughs> he demands sacrifices this time of year. This time of year, he demands sacrifices. It's it's not I'm a fun a time. tax god. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, we've uh, it's been a it's been a while. Uh, the last show we did was the uh, the best of 2021, and uh, I incorrectly predicted the power of the dog was going to win best picture at the Oscars. <laughs> hey, you know you tried. I you tried. Had, I I. I did get a kick out of uh, the fact that you had, I think, uh, your top, you did your top 10 movies, and then you had, I think, like 14 honorable mentions outside <laughs> of the top 10, and none of them won Best Picture. Um, so I'm just going to... I did love Coda when I saw it, and I just forgot to put it into the honorable mentions. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's it it happens to the best of us. I'm sure it happens to the rest of us. But anyway, yeah, uh, Moon Knight's out now, guys. It's been two weeks, yeah. two episodes, two weeks in, two episodes in. Yeah, two episodes. This is going to serve as our uh, kind of review and thoughts on the first two episodes, and after this, we plan on getting back to weekly reviews for for the rest of the series. Um, you know, time permitting, but that's that's the plan currently. As long as nothing nothing gets in our way, no uh, other avatars out there trying to stop us. Well, only time will tell. <laughs> yeah, only time will tell. I think with this discussion, it makes sense to just kind of go, um, you know, chronologically, starting off with that that first episode. What kind of were your overall thoughts? Are there any standout scenes to you? Or uh, overall, I really enjoyed it. It was a very, it, to me, it was like a really good pilot for for this uh, for this show. That it's almost as if they filmed that first episode, gave it to Disney and Marvel, and were like, "Here you go. This is what we want to do with it," and that's what got it greenlit. I don't think that's what really happened, but that's what it felt like. Like right. it probably could have just cut off at the end, if, and they released that as a pilot, and that would have been like a fine short, yeah. you know, like a fine forty-five minute short, Moon Knight short of like <clears throat> Mark slash Steven trying to grapple with who he is, and then all of a sudden he transforms into Moon Knight at the end. And I think that would have mm-hmm. been fine, but now we get more of of like the transformation and like. Why is why are Steven and Mark the the way that they are? You know, yeah. And it it to, like so far I might be jumping ahead a lot here, but so far like this might be my, one of my favorite looking entries in the MCU. Yeah, it it really has a very unique feel. Mm-hmm. You know, not not so much like I wouldn't say like stylistically in the way that like we saw with Wandavision. Mm-hmm. You know, like Wandavision had kind of like different aesthetics that jumped through and was very creatively distinct um but it's almost like a different side of the mcu that we haven't seen before it kind of feels like the first time that we got something that was like cosmic like guardians of the galaxy right like we're dipping Mm -hmm. into horror like Mm -hmm. this like some of these scenes are just i mean straight up some of like visual horror tropes Mm -hmm. (laughs) like the entire scene at the end of the first episode in the museum right with the the jackal yeah, and I, I thought it was a great introduction to the character, and it's such a brilliant choice to to start off completely from the perspective of Steven. Oh yeah, like 
any time that Mark's in control, we black out and we right. jump the cut to like Steven reacting to it. So I think it's such a, a cool way to tell this origin story. Mm-hmm. Like the origin for Moon Knight has already happened. Like we're we're just catching up with Steven. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a it, it almost is, uh, you know, I, I don't want to go back to like harp on a movie, but like with Captain Marvel, right? Like they tried to do a similar type of plot. Mm-hmm. Um, similar devices like you know you had the amnesia and memory loss type aspects um and this seems to be you know dealing with mental health issues and what's real what isn't well specifically um, they didn't with captain marvel but at the same time i think this is done in a way that gives you a lot more insight into steven's character because you're just as confused as he is like especially that first time that he wakes up at that castle (laughs) (laughs) and i don't know if it was like the swiss alps did they ever say yeah i I don't think they said specifically where it was but all of a sudden Mm -hmm. he wakes up at the at the base of a castle starts waving to a guy and then they start shooting at him out of Uh nowhere (laughs) and they very deliberately made it look just like fantastical almost Mm -hmm. like the way the rolling hills were in the background like compared to like the bleak like drab city streets that we saw right in steven's day-to-day life when he wakes Mm -hmm. up there it's like you know, it's, almost it, like it's almost like he was thrust into like an Indiana Jones movie or something. Uh-huh. He woke up in the middle of it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's just so cool to get that perspective and just not even understand at all what happened in the gaps there. Right. But like we're jumping into this Moon Knight adventure or maybe even like Moon Knight's origin story in like the middle of it. Because mm-hmm. it, it just really gives you that feeling of like being able to put yourself in the shoes of Steven where it's like, what is going on? <laughs> and I saw people criticize the first episode for that. Like, there are too many unanswered questions. But, but that's like, the point. It's a series. It's a pilot of a series. <laughs> like, they're not going to answer all the questions. And the entire point is to be confused along with Steven because you're supposed to be able to, like, re- maybe not relate, but, like, sympathize with what he's going through. Exactly. Yeah, because, I mean, it's not... it. I think that's one thing that this series is starting to do well with, like, portraying mental health issues it's like they they try to make you understand a little bit what it feels like, even though you know there's no way to actually fully understand what someone that has no, a condition and, and, like this goes through. And this but is they, specifically they let you live with him to understand. Uh-huh. Like this is how jarring it is for people, and yeah, it's taken to extremes here. But like people who are living this type of thing day to day, and they might not be controlled by an Egyptian deity, but. Like people live this day to day and jump in and out of different situations, and it's just it's terrifying to to have to go along with. Yeah, I I can't even imagine what what living with a disorder like this, and and there the it seems like what they're playing up specifically is uh, DID. Was it uh, disassociative disassociative identity disorder? Yep, it's what it seems like they're they're using almost an, an extreme version of this. But it also kind of plays into the old wives' tales of of the the lunatics howling at the moon, you know, and like mm. kind of, granted, those are old, like outdated ways of looking at at yeah. lunacy and mental health and and quote craziness. And I mean, when we talked about our our phase four preview, we had talked about how we want them to like dive into these ideas and like the and play this up a lot. And they see they seem to really be hammering this home that yeah. Stephen has DID or at least is or at we least don't is know. is or at it, least from the outside world perspective has DID right yes but w- what we know is that he's actually seen Egyptian gods 
Yes. <laughs> and jackals and fantastical creatures. But to the outside world, he's just throwing himself around and throwing himself in front of a bust. And like you see everybody's reaction saying, oh, well, it's just a new drug out on the market or that's just a just a crazy person. Right. Mm-hmm. And I really like that we do, as you're saying, like get to dive into how we see it from their perspective. The one thing I kept thinking of during this was uh, Split. M. Night Shyamalan's mm. Split. Did, did you see it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. Yeah. That, again, is a very exaggerated version of this disorder. Right. That one, I believe only like a handful of people in the world have that sort of um, condition. But this version is almost like a tamer version of that. That one, on the other hand, though, you don't really get to see it from Kevin's point of view. It's all from Ani Taylor-Joy's character. I can't remember her name in it, but her yeah. point of view. So we just, again, see him as a crazy person in general. Mm-hmm. Here, like, we get to see, oh, Stephen might not be crazy. He actually sees another person who looks and sounds and <clears throat> even interacts with him, talking directly to him. Like, like his identical twin talking to him. He sees... Mm-hmm. An Egyptian god telling him to <laughs> to strangle Ethan Hawke, you know. Yes. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm jumping I ahead here, but I think it's important that Mark is the hero too, right? Like with Split, yeah. it's the villain. Like right. even up until the end, like it's it's uh, portrayed as a very villainous thing. Like there are some personalities in in Kevin and Split that are not inherently evil, mm-hmm. um, like some of the other ones are portrayed as. But with with Mark, and I, I've read that you know this was inten- an intentional choice by um, Ethan Hawke and Oscar Isaac is like with the villain of Arthur Harrow, they're playing him. He's the villain, but he's completely sane, right? You know, like he—I mean, he's like evil. You know, mm-hmm. some of the things he wants to do are evil, but he's very level-headed, very in mm-hmm. control, like not fractured in the way that you see with Mark. And I think that's it's really important because it allows you to see this type of disorder from a different perspective. Yeah, no, that, that completely makes sense. I, I didn't, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I couldn't think of Ethan Hawke's character's name. I, has, has it ever been said yet? Yeah, they've said it a few times. It's Arthur okay. Harrow. Ar- they usually Arthur just Harrow, say okay. they've in the second episode, they said Harrow a lot. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, that's, that's an, an interesting choice. I, I picked up one, but, didn't really know how to put to words like you had just said that you had read. That's that's really interesting. I really like that aspect of this. Yeah. Um, but also one thing one thing I really enjoyed about this. Um, and when I say that the the show looks different than anything I've seen in the MCU, first of all, it doesn't feel like it's in the MCU. The ad has its it has some of the tropes here and there of like the score coming in at like the the perfect time and some of the some of the jokey stuff it's not out of the out of place bad yeah. but like it's still there but to me the thing that makes it stand out is the camera work in this the camera literally yeah. moves through the scene it, like yes. you actually move through the environment with steven i have i don't think we've seen that in an mcu property yet mm-hmm. like this yeah. feel this doesn't feel like mm-hmm. it's within the mcu first of all because we don't have any other connections at this point there are no little references to say, hey, that like, I don't know, Doctor Strange is out in New York or something like that. Something there, there, weird. Like, I think there have been no references at all. None. If I'm correct. Like, I, I haven't picked up any. None. The, um, the only one I could think, the only one I could think of that they end up doing with this 
possibly is like a Gemma Chan cameo. Yeah. Yeah, that would well, be the I only one that we'll made sense, mm-hmm. or or uh, even Chet Harrington. Um, but um, with the the camera shots, I mean, really, the only other MCU quote unquote property that I can think of that did stuff like that was Daredevil. Mm-hmm. You know, some of those fight scenes were shot in a very similar way, where they're using like uh, clever camera move into like obscure cuts and like making something seem like a, a one shot, or just flat out doing one shots. Right. But it, it's it's. It is beautifully shot. Yeah. Well, it's it's <laughs> like, not even just just the fight scenes. It's like conversations are happening and the camera's like moving around in between yeah. like in between people and in, like you feel like you're moving through this environment with Steven. Like as you were saying, yeah. we're meant to see this all from his perspective to start out with. Yeah, and the <laughs> and camera so, movements and the 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 swoops and everything just get more frantic like in in uh the scene where he's in the elevator, right? Uh-huh. And Kanju is walking towards him and it ends up being the old lady. Like <laughs> like that type of thing is is you know, the way the camera follows him as he's running through the hallway into the elevator, like is pretty pretty good. Um But but I, I texted you this last night after the after I'd watched the episode, the second episode, and I'd said that it feels like it's bizarre to me that we have come so far from a billionaire building a, a met suit with a from a bunch of scraps in a cave mm-hmm. to a person who may or may have not been dead being possessed by an egyptian god yeah. <laughs> like what like what has this franchise come to i'm not complaining it's just bizarre to me that these are both exist in the same world <laughs> yeah and i'm on the like you know whole deity stuff i'm really curious to see how deep they go into the lore there because it seems they're going a lot more a lot deeper into Kanshu and all of that than I thought they would to be really? honest um I didn't expect to like see him as much as we have and hear him as much as we have that was a huge shock to me just because like the MCU historically has portrayed like gods as extra dimensional beings or aliens mm-hmm. like in the case of Thor and the Eternals but like you know, it's. I'm, I'm interested to see what if they end up giving uh, an explanation like that to the existence of someone like Kanchu, right? Like they're mm-hmm. almost. Um, I know we keep jumping to the second episode, but like <laughs> when when uh, Arthur summons the jackal in the second episode, it looks very much like a dimensional portal being opened in the floor, almost like a power stone like type of effect. Oh, um, yeah, the jackal maybe. crawls out of. I don't know if that's gonna matter at all, or he, they don't need to explain it. But I am just kind of curious. No, I don't. I don't think so either. And going back to connections to the MCU here, like it was, like, Feige announced a few weeks ago. It, it again, it's been a while since we've done an episode, but they announced a few weeks ago that they're not doing a quote Avengers movie anymore. Like that, that's done. The 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 um the major team ups like that are done, mm-hmm. and like. I'm kind of glad because I don't see how like this and like Ant-Man would mash together, you know, like yeah. to see like to see somebody like Mark Spector, who's a trained assassin and and Kanju, a freaking Egyptian god, like <laughs> taking taking on, I don't know, Galactus. Like it, it would just it <laughs> wouldn't it wouldn't mesh well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's, it's something that. I mean, I, I think as you keep adding these new characters and we're, we're getting so many origin stories now and so many new characters introduced in the coming years, 
you don't need to have movies where every character <laughs> is involved, you know? I mean, if you do something like Secret Wars, yeah, I think there's room for that, but other than that, I mean, you're you don't you don't need it. I mean, you can have smaller team ups, mm-hmm. um, smaller teams formed. Um the you don't I mean, I, I don't think Moon Knight this iteration is ever going to be like a named Avenger. No, I don't think so either. Right. So. But I'm curious. I didn't have because of tax season. I didn't have a chance to read. We we were going to read the the Garth Ennis run of Moon yeah. Knight, and I didn't have the chance to. You actually read some of it or reread or reread yeah. it. How <clears throat> let's let, let's since we didn't do a preview, let's get into that a little bit. What are you, like? Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about his run on it, and then we'll get um, into the comparisons. So like Moon Knight in the comics. Overall, they they haven't changed a ton when it comes to Mark Spector and Moon Knight. Um, Stephen Grant, the character of Stephen Grant, is a massive divergence from what he is in the comics. And there's actually even a third identity that they haven't shown yet in the show, but they may get there. Um, the The character of Stephen Grant in the in the comics is basically Bruce Wayne, like he's a millionaire, like tech mogul. That would explain <laughs> like the a suit. Billionaire. Yeah, so so um, he's a vastly different character than the gift shop worker that we have in this. Um, and then there's Jake Loxley, who's the like a, a cab driver in London. So it's almost like a. I think they combined Stephen Grant and Jake Loxley okay. into one character, probably just to kind of streamline things a little bit. Which I'm not. I'm not super opposed. I mean, I think. I don't know if you need two kind of like non-Mark Spector identities in here for the show's purpose yet. No, I yeah, I like having just two personalities to go off of and two, mm-hmm. two basically two characters to work off of. And yeah. the banner between the two of them is enough to develop both Steven and Mark as characters and who they were, mm-hmm. what they did, why one doesn't understand the other. If you start throwing in two or three others, it, it kind of becomes a joke at that point. Yeah, and how how do you? It, it'd be harder to portray like a conversation between the three of them, whereas yeah. like with Mark and Steven, you can have these heated one on one debates and like philosophical questions being being answered. And I think that'd be a little bit harder if you had like three Oscar Isaacs yelling at each other. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm opposed to more Oscar Isaacs on the screen at the same time, but um, so, I wonder what what kind of accent he'd pick up for the third <laughs> we'll get the, we'll... I, my guess for this the the reason they changed it from the like billionaire you know industry mogul is probably just to avoid the batman comparisons because mm-hmm. moon knight already kind of garners a lot of them and you even saw in the second episode they were like i'm the fist of vengeance like, right <laughs> arrow said that and that you know made me think of batman i think that might have been a little little nod to that but um, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you you haven't seen the Batman yet, but when I heard that, I'm like, this is definitely this feels like Robert Pattinson <laughs> all over again. I'm vengeance. Yeah. Um, that oh my god, that has the we'll, um, we'll, we'll talk about the Batman at some point probably, but um, that, that's a different conversation for another yeah. day. Also, in the the comics, that run that we're referring to is also the one that introduced the Mister Knight persona, which is mm-hmm. the suited Moon Knight, um, that we saw at the end of this episode, and I I don't. I'll, I can't recall, but I don't think it was like specifically tied to one of the non Moon Knight entities like it seems to be here. Mm-hmm. It's like, OK, when Mark's in control and he turns into Moon Knight, you get the the fist of Khonshu. You get the full like mummified look mm-hmm. with the, the protector's armor. I can't I can't remember exactly what he called it. 
And then when Steven's in control and he turns into Moon Knight, he turns into Mr. Knight and has the suit. And that was so, I love, I love that. I think that look is so good. That's like one of the best, the best costumes in the MCU, I think, hands down. I think it's so freaking cool. <laughs> How many conventions now do you think people are going to go to oh, dressed as the different yeah. that's a fairly iterations? Easy, uh, that's a fairly easy cosplay, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, it's, it's cool. <laughs> it's cool. And I, I like... I really, really like the idea that they tie each outfit to a version of Mark. One's to Mark, one's to Steven. I think that's cool. But well, it is it, hel- it. Go ahead. I, I was gonna say I think it helps like separate them a little bit more of like yeah what what well, Steven expects this to be and what Mark knows it is. Uh huh. Yeah, it, it lets you know visually who's mm-hmm. in charge, right? Exactly. And they'll they'll probably play with that at some point, right? Where we think it's one and it's the other for some some plot reason but um yeah i think it's i think it's a cool cool design choice to to go with that and i I wish they didn't release the poster a few weeks ago with mr knight because i would have been shocked to see it i would (laughs) i didn't expect it coming into this at all so it sounds like they're taking a lot from both the steven and mark side well i i mean they're differentiating steven but um they're kind of just boiling down two of the um two of the main personalities that at least Ennis was working with like, like what what was i guess special about Ennis's run compared to any other runs on Moon Knight do you are you aware do you know i mean not not too much spe- that was special about it i mean all the recent mon- runs of Moon Knight have been ones that really delve into the the topic of Mark's sanity okay. right like they're very introspective not extremely action heavy but they are i mean they do have a lot of action in them Mm -hmm. but they're they're like this like we spend a lot of time understanding what is going on with mark and like they make you question whether what you just read actually happened or whether it was in (laughs) mark's head which made me i mean this this series is doing so far like that scene where they reviewed the footage from the museum (laughs) i was like wait is this creature like something only he can see or is it really actually not there like are we like are they starting to prime us for like a bigger twist or something i don't know that's what made me start to question it but then when he was he was fighting the jackal in the street like and the jackal was like starting to appear and disappear and like only layla could see him then too it seemed like i started to wonder is layla even real oh wow i never thought like does she actually exist or is is steven imagining her because I don't really know if we see anybody interact with her other than Steven. Uh, when she comes into the dining hall or whatever and holds up the scarab. Oh, yeah, I guess that's other, true. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's very true, too. Let's let's derail for a second to talk about a little bit of nitpicks, because I think this um, was one of mine. Yep. I didn't fully understand why she charged in there and held up the one thing they were looking for. I didn't either. That was weird. I was like, wait, why? she's like... Here it is. <laughs> Transform Mark. Put the suit on. And I was like, well, like the villain had no idea where the scarab was. Why would you bring it right to him? <laughs> like, I guess hoping to force Mark to transform, maybe. But I guess it just it just felt w- like a convoluted way to kick off that fight scene. <laughs> <laughs> um. That was a nitpick of mine. Another one I think was I was kind of worried coming out of the first episode with the whole 
like Conchu voice in Mark's oh my God. head. It it felt very venomy to me. <laughs> it didn't to me. That, that's a, F, that's Mur, F Murray Abraham. I'm uh-huh. I, I'm ecstatic that. I I mean we, we I like the voice work, but I yeah. just kept feeling like I was watching some like venom scenes, especially the the car chase scene in particular, where it, it's it's just the tone that the Conchu had. I think surprised me. It really that, caught me off guard because he's like, "You idiot, get back!" And I was that like, actually what? Works. "Why is he just like calling him?" And it, it does work, but it felt so much like Eddie Brock and Venom type of dynamic for a little bit there. And <laughs> yeah, I, kinda, I was a little it kind of does. By it it kind of does, and I, I get it because you also have the the Mark voice like arguing with him about it and like going yeah. along with it at the same time. And I just I, I like that because that actually gives Conju some personality. He's not just like the stoic god that yeah. looks over him; like he actually gets frustrated and angry when things don't yeah. go his way. <laughs> and Har- Harrow says that in the second episode. He's like, Conchu's a crybaby. Like, he's a whiner. <laughs> <laughs> like he said, all the gods hate him because he's just... <laughs> like, he he just, like, throws a fit. temper tantrums, I think he said, when he doesn't get his way. And I, I like I like that. I mean, looking back on it, I like it. I think just, like, when that dynamic is in place, it just feels so much like, like Eddie and Venom that it, it like took me out of it for a sec hey um, i like i said in our in our venom episodes that's one of the best bromances put the screen so i'll i'll take it yeah <laughs> that, that that's a compliment in my eyes i'm trying to think of any other kind of nitpicks i had i can't really think of any i mean oscar isaac's uh british accent is is kind of funny uh he's uh steven's a little like a He's a very hard swerve from what Mark is. Yeah. Which it's is a, funny, it, but like... It, it's a very <laughs> cartoonish Cockney accent. Yeah, and I talked to you about this a little bit before, but he almost reminds me a little bit of like a like a George McFly or like <laughs> uh, Columbus from Zombieland. <laughs> like just, just this like, like dorky character who just like really wants to keep his head down and stay out of trouble, and that's about right. it. <laughs> like, <laughs> But I think what's impressive is that a lot of it is is in the blocking and the and the camera work, but uh, you can distinctly tell which one is Mark and which one is uh, Steven yes. just by just by Isaac's like like his face just turns all yeah. of a sudden. And like I don't, subtle... I, I don't know if there's anybody. Uh, we say this with every friggin' casting, but I don't know if there's anybody else that can pull this off. I know. <laughs> I know. Anyone he, else, it would he, just he, look it... weird. Yeah, he's fantastic. I mean, just the there are so many scenes where he's looking in the mirror and <laughs> even if the reflections were reversed, you could tell exactly who which one was which. Mm-hmm. Just the way like that there's like a certain intensity that goes into his eyes. Mm-hmm. Like when when you see Mark versus when you see uh, when you see Steven and it's like it, it's just night and day. It's it's crazy. Like the amount of acting that that man can do with just his face. So, so Oscar Isaac was in the, the card counter last year. It was a Paul Schrader movie that came out. I'm thinking about this in real time. And he played a, a former uh, Guantanamo Bay, like guard mm. and, and is extremely like stoic through the entire thing. He's a, he's a professional card player and like, it's basically him trying to earn enough money to send to, I forget who it is, but to pay off debts, but He's very stoic and very serious in it. But then I also think Oscar Isaac's also Poe Dameron, <laughs> who is 
who is probably one of the best things about the sequels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the fun-loving adventure. Well, Oscar Isaac, maybe not so much. The, the characters, like, they didn't well, know exactly what to do with him in, in the latter films. You know what <laughs> but, I mean, though, that yeah, it's a lot more lighthearted mean. and fun than, yeah. than, say, the card counter, where he's very straight-laced, stoic, and, like, Tie, like it points he's like tying sheets to tables so he doesn't write anything over like it's it's very played very straight it's it's an it's a great performance don't get me wrong but it like Isaac's range in general is just unbelievable yeah have you you've seen um ex machina right not all of it oh I really somehow oh, i have really it. good in that yeah it's very uh similar to this role where he like can flip you know like mm-hmm. the, on a dime mm-hmm yeah, but he's he's really impressive. I mean, given that essentially outside of Ethan Hawke and F. Murray Abraham, there's not really a supporting cast yet. And the the um, actress who plays Layla, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but um, you know, but she wasn't in the first episode. It, it, um, can we talk about Ethan Hawke for a second? Yes, because it it still blows my mind that he. <laughs> He's arguably one of the best actors of his generation. Yeah. And he's in this. <laughs> this 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 character has a potential to be like a top tier MCU villain, I think, depending on how the Easily. rest of the series go. Oh my goodness. Just the the presence he has being so like uh, gentle Layla's, and calm, but still incredibly intimidating. Layla's played by a maid Callamoy. Okay. If I, I hope I'm pronouncing, hmm. hope I'm pronouncing that right. If not, I'm yeah, sorry. I don't think I've seen her in anything. So no, she's relatively. Yeah, she's she's only been in shorts, but um, in TV yeah, we're series. Some hints that she may take up the mantle eventually. She may potentially. But, but uh, anyway, haha. Ha. Uh, but anyway, back to Ethan Hawke for a second. Yeah, the, this villain. I mean, Arthur Harrow has the potential to be top tier MCU. Just that introduction scene where we see him in the the village in the Alps. It's so cult like. Uh-huh. I think he said that that he based his performance off of cult leaders, but like just well, actually his introduction scene. I take that back. Is the first scene of the show right where he puts right. the glass in his feet and yeah, like that shows you that he is very devout mm-hmm. to whatever the, this um, Emmett God. He is. No one's around him when he's putting glass in his sandals, and he doesn't draw attention to it as he goes. Like, no. <laughs> like, whatever he's trying to do, like, whether he's trying to crush it into sand or... I don't know, but he's, like, living by that. And it's it's scary how, like, in control he is of what his goals are. Like, he is just laser-focused on what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And he's he wants very to serve. calm and, like... He wants to serve, serve his God. Like, that's... Yeah. That's literally all he wants, and... With that um, Bob Dylan song playing in the background, just like it, just I that that really got me hooked. Like immediately, like I don't want, yeah, I don't know if I, I don't know if I want anything else right now. <laughs> yeah, I almost want just a whole series on Arthur alone. <laughs> you know? Hey, we could get it. He previously was Moon Knight. We got that confirmed in the second episode. Yeah, like he was the Moon Knight before Mark Spector. Speaking of that first scene, like that was a really great needle drop. Um, especially if you go and look at the lyrics, but like, I mean, the song's called a grain, every grain of sand. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So 
That's interesting. Um, but the other needle drops in that first episode, every single one has a reference to like waking up. <laughs> right. Uh, the go goes. That was a good one. But what's uh? But also, what's glass made out of? But sand. Yep. So I mean, I I, I don't think just visually, um, Stephen and Arthur aren't that far off from he, each other mm. to an extent. Like they they both walk on sand to like start their day. Like you see Ar- or not yeah. Arthur, you see Mark like lay and not Mark. I'm sorry. Now I'm <laughs> now I'm mixing them up. Mark. Mark there, yeah. You see uh, Stephen laying out sand before he goes to bed. And I'm assuming that's so he knows if he got up in the middle of the night or not. Yeah. But I don't yeah, think I don't he realizes know. that Mark, if, if there's another personality, Mark could easily clean it up. Tough. So he wouldn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Except Mark might leave some tra- clues behind and not know it, a.k.a. the goldfish. Yeah. The goldfish problem. What do you th- What do you think happened to the goldfish? I don't know. I think I, I think we're meant to imply that he forgot to feed the goldfish and it died because he was in control for so long. Because mm-hmm. that's right when Mark realizes that uh, he thinks it's Thursday and it's Sunday, right? Uh huh. Um. So I think it's like we're supposed to think the goldfish just died, and Mark replaced it before he relinquished control back to Stephen. <laughs> Oh my God! Speaking of him realizing it's Sunday, that scene at the at the steakhouse just... Ugh. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, like let's I mean, let's I, give Oscar Isaac Emmy for that, that alone. Entire day though, without realizing that it's Sunday. I, I do, I do to an extent. Yeah. I really do believe it because I feel like I like I look at my phone and it says like Thursday, April seventh, right on it. But I know I keep making references to tax season, but like every time I leave the CPA firm, I have to ask what day is it again. <laughs> And even even the people I'm at are like it's it's but it's Tuesday. It's like like every time we have to remind ourselves what day it is because it's just constantly yeah. working at this point. So I get it. It's very well possible he went the entire day thinking it was Friday, but mm-hmm. to see like to see like Ostrich's its face just drop over that scene. Oh yeah, my and when God. He, he's being asked about the steak, he's like, they're like, how do you <laughs> want it? Good, good, yeah, good, good is fine. <laughs> He orders it well done. <laughs> Made me sick to my stomach. <laughs> what a monster. What a monster. Maybe he doesn't deserve happiness. I, I, I do kind of wonder, though, like, are we looking at a third personality here because of that scene? Like, I, I don't see Mark asking that girl out on a date, right? It's possible. Because it seems like he was trying to protect Layla, so he still cared about her, even though he was trying to divorce her, like, for her own good, so that uh, she would become the next Moon Knight, but... Yeah, you have a point there. Unless maybe that's the part, that's the reason for the divorce, and he's just trying to like confirm it, or at least you know, like maybe like asking this girl out, and then she eventually finds out about it to like cover up that. Oh, to like make he, it like yeah, he's more. leaving because make her want. He's leave cheating, too. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I see. It could be either though. I I, I mm-hmm. like that theory that it's really a third personality that we're not aware of yet. Yeah, I think we'll. I think we'll get clarity on that, um, unless it's just you know it was a way to show that Stephen isn't in control all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, what was Stephen dead? Is the other question question I have. Oh, did Mark die? You mean? I'm sorry, Mark. Uh, well, I either one because because Con- Conju at one point says in the second episode that like I put you into this corpse to 
So one of them was dead at one point. Yeah, I think, um, at least in the comics, he basically dies at like the altar of Kanshu. Okay. At some point, and is like reborn as the, the, um, Avatar. Okay. Speaking of the Avatar, I, I really like the joke. He's like the tall, the tall blue people, so, or, or the anime. anime. <laughs> so we That's know that one. we know James Cameron exists in the MCU now, <laughs> and M Night Shyamalan. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. But I mean, there, there's so much good stuff in this show that I, I really can't wait to see where they go from here. Yeah. What's really interesting to me is like this show, much like so many of the MCU properties that we've been talking about on this podcast and a lot of phase four, it's starting to become in like hit those same themes of like predestination and destiny, you know, like, like Arthur's whole thing is exactly like what justice project insight exactly in uh, the winter soldier. It's right. Hey, we're kidding. We're we're identifying all the people that are risks and could be bad people, and we're eliminating them before they can be bad. Like that's right. literally what the plan was for <laughs> what Hydra wanted to do in in the Winter Soldier. Like, and it's what the TVA was you know supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, in Loki. So it's really interesting to see these the same kind of themes. Like, do you? make the sacrifices early so that you know you're preventing bigger things down the line that's the same thing we saw in eternals right like mm-hmm. do you do you make the sacrifice now so that to save thousands more lives in the future millions more lives in the future or do you kind of let things run their course and let people make their own choices i mean that that that's a moral quandary that the that marvel studios has been dealing with over and over and over and i don't mind it i like that they kind of keep bringing different perspectives on it, especially now that they're like bringing in Egyptian gods as like a, as like Mm -hmm. a, as a way to look at it. But I just wonder, does that start to run its course at some point? We need to start looking at a different moral dilemma. (laughs) It depends. It depends. I mean, like I think you can, you can see it as like a big through line through phase four so far. Mm -hmm. So if it starts to like kind of extend beyond that, if we even have phases, I don't know. But if, we, if we're still talking about like these same type of themes in four years, like maybe maybe it's run its course. Because I feel like something but, like Multiverse of Madness is going to deal mm-hmm. with similar ideas. Um, we don't know for sure yet. We're still about a month out from it. But yeah. Um, so oh, shifting gears again a little bit, like what we talked sort of about it earlier but what do you think about the more like horror type elements in it so far again i like it like it's it's yeah. visually pleasing like yeah it's a little corny some of the stuff that they're using they're doing but it works it feels like I, I keep saying it feels different it feels like a new type of entry um i mean as i said in our preview or when we talked about the moon Knight trailer at one point that uh, the suit looks like a ghost yeah at, at a does. point, like a mummy and a ghost mixed. I love the design of this. It's not just the blank white, the straight yeah. white costume. Like he actually looks like a ghost. Mummified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
what was I going to say? The um, Kanju looks like a monster walking, like stalking yeah. him through the streets, and like mm-hmm. to see like it's one of the. <laughs> I kept thinking of Birdman at one point because when <laughs> did you see Birdman? The, I didn't the Mike, see it. Was no. it Michael Keaton? So yeah, no. yeah, so that there's one part I can't even say scene because it's all supposed to be one shot, but there's one part where he's like walking down the theater after sleeping in an alleyway on overnight, and he's he just snaps and all of a sudden like birdman is talking in his ear like physically talking in his ear flying next to him and he looks up and there's this giant mechanical bird like stomping on buildings and like it, the whole thing's supposed to be like a parallel for like big blaster big blockbuster franchises like the MCU versus like theater and and the quote artistic world but what I'm getting at was this uh, the scene where it's Mark standing in like that little plaza after they, they kill the, um, the jackal. Yeah. And Kanju comes down and like starts to talk to him. And then the camera literally pans over and Kanju's sitting right there again. Like, yeah. Like he's moving around. Right. Like even Mark, like Kanju can pop up place to place. And even Mark isn't really sure what's going on some of the time. Uh-huh. He's not fully in control either. It's something that, yeah something that we need to be aware of yeah that kanju is really the one in control here um definitely and i think taking that level of control out adds to the the horror element just a little bit more mm-hmm. how great was that shot with the jackal impaled on, on oh my god monument <laughs> so good i jumped <laughs> me too that was a good one. I didn't, I never thought I'd see an animal get impaled in the MCU. <laughs> Granny turned to sand afterward, but yeah. it's, it's still impressive. Oh, that the speaking of like things we never thought we'd see in the MCU, the um the scene where Mark wakes up after fist fighting those people in the Alps and he has the scarab and it's covered in blood and like, <laughs> all the people are laying in like pools of blood. I was like, oh, yeah. my, that might be the most brutal thing. Like that's up there with the the blood on Cap's shield, <laughs> right? And that scene, uh, I mean, we didn't physically see the violence, but seeing all of that blood was pretty uh, shocking. Like we're we're like we're nearing Daredevil and Jessica Jones levels of yeah, violence it's in this show. Mm-hmm. We're, it's never gonna touch that, but it's it's getting there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, on the horror realm, it's the the, <laughs> the one part that made me laugh was like when they're going into the storage unit in the second episode <laughs> and it's like the most terrifying storage unit you've ever seen just by uh-huh. itself. it's like as they're walking the lights are coming on like right in front of them it's like boom <laughs> what could be scarier than a bunch of bunch of steel steel crates in a in a warehouse okay also i'm i'm gonna um brag a little bit here on the storage unit scene and i didn't see this beforehand i promise i, I figured okay. this out on my own there on the storage unit as he goes to open it there's a qr code and i, I saw like, that I, I never really see qr codes in in film so i scanned it uh-huh. and it takes you to it uh download for a free moon Knight comic that's awesome and they put one in the first episode too apparently i looked it up afterwards huh so i guess every episode has like a hidden qr code <laughs> pretty neat yeah it is kind of neat, neat. I, like yeah 
And I saw that, and I really, I, I instinct, instinctively, I almost pulled my phone out to to scan it. But I'm like, you know what? Well, I'll come back to it, and just never did. Something about it, like I, I just clocked in my head, like I never see QR codes no. in movies. No, <laughs> really, I was like, that's weird. It must be. It must do something. So yeah, that's as uh, the as as the IT as as the IT person though. How safe is it to do something like that? <laughs> <laughs> it depends on where you're directing it and whether someone could change what it's uh what, the, what its targets there. <laughs> Don't just scan any QR code kids. Yeah. Usually they give you a preview it says this is what you're going to. Do you want to proceed? <laughs> okay. What was the comic though? Was it just like a Um, I can't remember. I didn't actually download it. I mean, it's just a Moon Knight comic. Okay. Um, I don't know if it's like an entire series or just like a bunch of different number ones from mm. from different runs. I'd imagine that's what it is because that's the best way to get you to subscribe to Marvel Unlimited. So. I get. Oh no, is that Probably really where the they're going? With this yeah, we got to be cynical about it, you know. <laughs> Thanks, internet. <laughs> Thank you, Twitter, for yeah. making us cynical. <laughs> where um, so I guess like let's let's get into prediction mode real quick where do you think this series goes from here like so i will say at this point i think every single thing we've seen in the trailer has already been shown i think so too like most of it was in the first episode but mm-hmm. like we've seen a lot of this show already so that that's very exciting to me i love the fact it's only six episodes that Mm-hmm. They're being very efficient with the storytelling. If this was on Netflix, we wouldn't have found out that Mark even existed for like five of them. Yeah, we wouldn't and have seen that. We definitely would have seen the suit in episode one. No, it would have been episode 11. <laughs> that would have been far in. And I, I think because of that, and I, I heard a complaint that they revealed too much in the second episode. And I thought, well, they're bringing us up to speed. Like there's a, there's probably yeah. a lot more that's going to happen from fourth or from or three through six. So to get everybody up to speed on like who Steve is, who Mark is, who Kanju is, who Amit is, or Emmett is, um, who Arthur is and who Layla is like literally just be getting a baseline idea of who everybody is, what their relationships are to each other. Now we can get into what the show really is. Yeah. Um, I don't even know how to predict where this is going. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> because we're... we've never seen something like this in the MCU, as we keep saying. It's it's dealing with similar themes, but in a different capacity and in different ways. Looking at it through the lens of how we perceive DID and how yep. we perceive the quote the crazy people to to be what they would see. But in reality, like Stephen really is seeing Egyptian gods. Arthur really has dealt with Egyptian gods. Like he is really killing people in his cult. Yeah. Right. Well, and there's definitely another side to Arthur because at the end of this, the second episode, we saw him kill somebody without judging them. Right. Like he didn't do the ritual on that guy that saw the scarab. He just said, well, sorry, you can't be around to see this. And then just killed him. Right. And Layla saw it. Mm-hmm. And he didn't seem that concerned about it, but no, I mean, I think that's just because he has that cool persona. But I, I'm, yeah, I'm really curious to see where it goes. I'm excited that it is going to be like a globe trotting series. I mean, we're in Egypt 
in episode three, it seems like. <laughs> Where I'd imagine we're going to start to get some of those like scenes from the origin, you know, what happened to Mark to mm-hmm. get him to the point where he's now Conchu's avatar. I, I wonder that's exciting to see. Are we going to get everything that like that Mark was doing while Steven was out? I in could that first see episode? that like a perspective shift on episode three where they show yeah. us like the flip side of what happened. <laughs> right. That would be that would be really interesting. I'd be I'd be curious to see that. It seems like that could happen because it seems like Steven might be gone for a little while now. Based yeah, that's that very well possible. Pretty like Steven's trapped. Definitive. Yeah. What do you? Do you it is looked that like just Mark was in charge in Egypt? I'm wondering, is that just a mirror dimension? Is that just like a like a little? Is that just like a like a visual way of representing I who think, is in control? Like he's not physically no, in a mirror. It's just I don't like think he's physically in the mirror, but I think that's like the way that Mark slash Steven is like reconciling it and able to like have these conversations between the different personalities you know like Mm -hmm. he's he's envisioning that as he's hearing the voices yeah that's fair maybe i mean maybe it is just like dimensional thing but i think that's that seems like a also part of it could be that it allows the audience to see two people interacting with each other and it's easier for us to connect with that yeah, we had Eddie and and Venom doing that, but we also had like a physical manifestation of Venom to like connect mm-hmm. to. Yeah, at times, and I, and I think it's just kind of playing on the the trope of talking to reflection because it is kind of like a trope, right? Like anytime yeah. that this type of thing is like a character needs to have a conversation with their self, like it's usually like reflected in a, in a mirror in a mirror in the same way. But this seems like it's not just us seeing it. Because Mark seems to as well, and Stephen. I mean, Stephen bl- calls him the man in the mirror in the in the locker. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> um, Asking him to change his ways. Something. <laughs> something that did occur to me though is what what do you, what is Layla's purpose in all of this? Because she she and Mark have a background. They they have a history. They're <laughs> they're married at this point, but it sounds like they have more of a history than just a marriage. Yeah, it sounds like they probably were mercenaries together, mm-hmm. I would imagine. Because it's there's sounds, no version I mean, of her ref- from the comics that you're aware of that Um I think there is, but not in any of the comics that I read. She didn't okay. play a part. Um but he's always kinda like in the comics been haunted by his old mercenary group or okay. assisted by them. Like they come in and out, some of them are villainous somewhere. Um they they kinda like form his acquaintance acquaintances and his rogues gallery at the same time a little bit um doesn't seem like there's going to be much in the way of villainry there i think layla seems to be on mark's side for the most part Mm -hmm. but i think i think what's happening is i think they were they were married they were mercenaries together went on you know various adventures and stuff and then Mark found out from Conchu that he was targeting Layla as his next host after he's done with Mark, mm-hmm. which I almost think is more of like a manipulation tactic on the part of Conchu. Mm-hmm. Like that, that he's like basically holding her hostage to get Mark to do what he wants. Right. Like he used it at the end of the episode. Yeah. He's like, Oh, you know who I'm picking after you. So, you know, you need to continue doing work for me. Otherwise she's going to become, my next avatar (laughs) like i I really think like i don't i don't think he actually is planning to use her next i think he just wants to continue using mark and that's the easiest way that he can do it 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I think uh, I think we'll get a lot of the origin told through flashbacks and maybe just over the course of this series. But really curious to see if there's more of a history between Mark and Arthur than we know of. That's the piece I think. I'm I'm not that personal conflict between the two of them isn't really there yet. You know, mm-hmm. it, it'll get to that level, I think. But really, it's like it's more of their pawns in this battle that the gods are having with each other. I was thinking that, too, that that um, Arthur is trying to serve Ahmed. But like in this case, he he might not be or he might not realize that he's being played. Mark knows he's being played. Yeah, it's almost like a Arthur's almost like a a more fleshed out version of what Caecilius was supposed it, to be in Doctor that's Strange. That's what I was trying to get at. Yeah. He thinks he's serving this greater purpose, but like he's just going to become like nothing to Amit. And I wouldn't be surprised if Amit is the one that kills him in the end after he mm-hmm. like summons her or something. You know, it's like um that what if episode when Red Skull summoned the tentacle monster thinking it was the god of Hydra and it just ate him immediately. <laughs> like like I wouldn't be surprised if something like that happens to Arthur. Right. Um but I I I would like to see a little bit more of like a, a personal conflict. Like right now, their ideologies are completely opposed. Like we can tell that. Yeah. But I I do want to see like if there's some sort of history between Arthur and and Mark beyond just being like Mark being Arthur's successor, basically. Mm-hmm. Like what caused Arthur to really turn on Conchu? I think we're gonna get something there. Well, that also raises the question of, is Arthur really alive or is he just being used as an avatar as well? I think he is. I think they said he's the avatar of Amit now. Okay. Amit. Mm-hmm. I think they said that in the first episode. That's why he has the like judgment power or whatever. Okay. Or could it be that he never, like he wants to be an avatar and he's more of like a, like a fanboy type thing. You know what I mean? Like like trying to get in with Amit and believes her teachings, um, but wants to be an avatar. I think, I think he said you're an avatar too or something. Yeah. I think, I think and, you're right now that you say that. Cause I feel like if he were just a quote fanboy, he wouldn't have the actual power to kill people just by he, touching their wrists. He did say that power comes from the staff though. It's not like necessarily inside him. Oh yeah. I guess that's true. Cause, cause he, he holds it up on his staff, wrists when he said the staff has a portion of Amit's power. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm remembering all of this because I literally just watched the episode before we recorded, <laughs> so uh, that's why a lot of these little details like that are very fresh in my head. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm curious to see what that greater conflict actually looks like because I'm I'm less interested in Arthur's in in this kind of like central conflict if it's just like I want to summon this big powerful evil, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I think we've we've seen that trope a lot, and I want there to be a little bit more um, to what he's trying to to really do here. Because at the end of the day, I mean, Stephen's right in his last episode. Like they're they're a cult that is going to kill people, even if they're like innocent children, just because they might commit a crime in fifty years or something. Right. <laughs> like, and like, who is to say that Amit's judging like what is a correct crime? Right. You know, like what's the what does it actually mean to Amit to be evil? Like a shoplifter mm-hmm. is going to get someone who's going to like steal a pair of the headphones or something from Walmart. Are they going to get <laughs> the like, same punishment to death as... for that? Like what, yeah. what's the death sentence for a crime you didn't commit? Yeah. 
Well, I mean that. I mean that that goes back to Hammurabi's code for for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> and and the idea of like, I mean, we're getting into some heady subjects here of like what is justice and what is punishment and justice combined and mm-hmm. like that's that does kind of it it stems off of the predestination uh discussion we were having before and um minority report actually is a pretty good example of all that too but this one actually is like deals with the like the aftermath of the decision Mm -hmm. um and in this case if we're talking about ancient egypt it's hard not to bring up hammurabi's code of the idea of like an eye for an eye and Mm -hmm. like a thief, a thief could have their hand cut off for stealing, you know? Right. Um, and how like those ideas of justice kind of still resonate to this day, almost thousands of years later, mm-hmm. just kind of ser- scary to think about. But I, I don't know where I was really going with that, but just the, the philosophy of it kind of, well, it, it, it could be how this God like put passes down her judgment. Right, like we yeah. don't know what her code is that determines if someone is good or bad. Like right. we just see the scales. Yeah, so it, it's it's interesting. Um, I think one one aspect of the relationship between specifically Stephen and Arthur that's really interesting to me is like he's the only person that doesn't outright tell Mark that he's crazy. You know, right? <laughs> like he's a person that can listen to Mark and understand him. And I think we got some of that in this episode. And he's like, you know, he's the only person that Mark has talked to in this series that hasn't like disregarded him as being crazy. <laughs> right. You know, like you look at the the HR guy from the museum that was firing him and giving him uh, like a brochure for a mental health, mental wellness doctor or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, he talks to people that can't even talk back to him. Because I think right. that's easier for him, like the the statue, the living statue guy <laughs> that looks like Willie Nelson for some reason. <laughs> the um, his mom. I mean, he's talking to who knows on the phone. Somebody he's who always leaving might not messages. Exist. Yeah, <laughs> like is it a fake voicemail that that uh, Mark set up to make Stephen think he was leaving voicemails for his mom? Like what? Well, what is well, that? Layla Layla does say at one point to, to Stephen, thinking he's Mark acting to steven yeah oh so you're talking to your mom again like yeah so there was a, there was an actual like mark's relationship mother. issue there right yeah. it's mark's mother though so but what's is going on here is that who steven's calling or is it just like a dead number that he thinks is his mother doesn't exist because he doesn't technically exist <laughs> right it's it's uh it's interesting to see him like embrace those kind of like one-way conversations <laughs> <laughs> um but uh it it's it is interesting, I think, to see that Arthur is the one that makes sense when Mark talks to him. Like, he's the one that validates everything Mark's been seeing, or Stephen's been seeing, I mean. Well, that just that just goes back to what you were saying before with Isaac and Hawk playing the role, or playing these characters, playing up these characters in that dynamic of Arthur being the sane one, and Stephen and Mark being the unstable one mm-hmm. like like arthur i mean technically is right to an extent that we can trust him that he sees and understands all of this too yeah it, like you have to give him a level of trust in this case to say mm-hmm. that yeah i understand because i see all of this too i was 
I was, I was a con, comed. Wow. <laughs> um, I was Conju's avatar. Like, yeah, I get it. And he's repeating verbatim what, what Conju is saying. <laughs> yeah. He knows exactly how he like operates. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like, you don't want to, but you have to put a level of trust in Arthur. Yeah. To understand what's going on. And mm-hmm. as a cult leader, that's very hard to, I mean, as a cult leader, it's easy for him to do for, but for either us as an audience or for, Steven, like that has to be hard to accept. Yeah. Uh, and it, it just felt like really surreal when he's walking through that like commune that's seemingly just in the middle of London. <laughs> like they have just uh-huh. like a, a rundown town that they they operate like as its own like independent little like they're growing all their produce, they're all <laughs> vegans, like he's like just friendly and neighborly with everybody, but they're all people that he presumably has judged as good people. And right. he's only allowed people that he accepts into his like faith, essentially. Right. He killed the rest outright. So it's like it's it seems very like wholesome as he's walking through and like exchanging tomatoes with people. But if you think about <laughs> it at the deeper level that like the people that wouldn't have worked in his commune, he literally just killed them. Right. Basically. It's, it's, it's horrible. It's, it's like terrifying. It's it's the the flip side of a utopia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The idea of a utopia is dystopian great, but then utopia. It's, it's actually a dystopia. <laughs> yeah, it's a dystopian utopia. <laughs> but even so, he's like, he's like, it's a dystopian utopia. <laughs> dystopia utopia. But but yeah, he's saying like, oh yeah, we all speak three languages here. And like just fluently goes in and out of Mandarin and, yeah. and Spanish um, and English without any problems. But it's... Even so... I. I don't know where I want to go with this, but the, the the scene of him walking through the commune, that's still all one shot. Like, yeah. like literally, that's, like there's so a many really good example of what you're talking about earlier. Yeah. That's there's true. so many lawn tates in this that I absolutely like, I can't take my mind off of this show whenever I'm yeah. watching it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm visually engaged. Like you see him walking, like you see the ball, the ball, the ball kicked over to him, pans up to him. He kicks it over to the kid pans over to the kid and then pans back. And then when they're walking into the building, it pans up and Conchu's right there <laughs> following mm-hmm. them. Yep. Just the, the, the amount of detail they went into like making this world feel lived in and built up. And it mm-hmm. it's actually pretty impressive because most it of the is. time, I mean, I've seen the Batman three times now. <laughs> <laughs> um, that feels like the most lived in Gotham city put the screen yet in general, the MCU likes to steer away from having lived in cities. Yeah. <laughs> Everything feels very, uh, if, if Staged. it's from the ground level, it it's very empty and aged and it doesn't like every like background characters just feel like matte paintings and like, it, it doesn't feel real. It feels like drawings and caricatures and sketches, you know, like uh-huh. this, these people feel like they're actually there uh-huh. and they actually believe in Arthur. And like you see them watching, you see some of them inside of the, the commune watching nature documentaries. Yeah, that was weird. I was trying to understand what that was, what was going on there because you saw the dolphin and the flowers. Then yeah, I, I'm I sure didn't fully understand some deeper meaning there that we're missing. But mm-hmm. I, yeah, I was trying to figure out like what they were watching and why they may be doing that. But because it stood out. It, it's yeah, they, very, they it's not subtle it multiple times, but 
I just think overall, this is a fantastic series. I'm really, really loving it to this point. I mean, it's it's very unique for what the MCU is. It's more brutal, violent, Mm -hmm. dark, but it's also such a cool take on an origin story for a character like this. Mm -hmm. Like you could have gone the the typical route and shown whatever happened to Mark to originally get Conchu and then he has a crisis and then Steven mm-hmm. comes in and that, like, you know, that like play it more sequentially. But the way that they cut that first episode was just, I mean, just at this, I mean, at this point, the origin has already happened. Yeah. <laughs> Mark exists mm-hmm. and Steven exists. And like you said, we're seeing this all entirely through Steven's eyes. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's really, uh, really original has me, has me very excited to see how it's how it's going to continue to develop. So I think that's probably a good place to to wrap up. Um, we will be back next week for a review of the third episode of Moon mm-hmm. Knight. Um, and we are getting closer and closer to Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So we'll be ramping up our coverage of that, too. I'm doing a, uh, the uh, uh, the Blank Check podcast with uh, Griffin and mm-hmm. David. They're, they're doing a Sam Raimi like we they're doing the Sam Raimi miniseries now. So I'm going, I know I just did it for our episode on Sam Raimi, but now I'm going back through his stuff week to week nice. with them. And it's getting me even more excited for multiverse yeah. madness as, as the week gets closer. So I, I cannot wait. It's going to be a fun time. Tickets are out. So go buy, go buy them. Yeah. Yep. Tickets went on sale this week. Thank you for listening as always for Jared. I'm John. We'll see you next time. Thank you.